Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we're taking a lengthy look at transfer fees, specifically the growth of record transfer fees. From a record-breaking £100 in 1893 to the £200 million transfer of Neymar in 2017, things have changed, and that's putting it deliberately mildly. How has the record transfer fee evolved? What roles have European powers played in that growth? How have numbers in the women's game been evolving? All that and much, much, much more today. To help me get through all of these facts and figures is a man who I'm assuming has a Charlie a- Kelly-esque spread of papers and graphics and red yarn on his wall tracking all of this information. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hello, Taylor. I don't have the Charlie Kelly uh, wall of conspiracy, but I, I do always like to have a prop for 101 episodes. Of course, uh-huh. last week I had my scarf for the scarves episode. And so today I have just out of camera shot, I've got my wads of, of cash of millions ah, of go. dollars to represent the world record <laughs> transfer fee. That's lovely. I'm glad that it's just off frame so I can't see it, but I will assume it's there Breaking Bad style. Like, is it on a pallet? Is it just a big stack that you sometimes lay on? (laughs) It's actually just coins like Scrooge McDuck. It's a room of (laughs) coins. I just like to swim in it from time to time. Now, Graham... I'd firstly like to thank you for suggesting a topic yesterday afternoon that could itself fill several volumes. This episode might be the definition of biting off more than we can chew, (laughs) but we're going after it anyway. How are you feeling? You feeling confident about this? Um, I was until you voiced your trepidation at this this episode. You're right. it It is quite the topic. It is something that can be traced back over like 120 years to the the first transfer fee ever paid for a player it was mm-hmm. for a scottish player might i add coincidentally mm-hmm. of course but yeah transfer fees are, are something we talk about a lot in in soccer and i'm sure most listeners know what a transfer fee is but just to set the stage set the table in case there are people who don't know and aren't familiar with the the, the transfer market of course that's what soccer 101 episodes are about or um, providing some education a transfer is when a player will go from one club to another club and a transfer fee is the amount of money that the club buying the player will will pay to the club selling the the player and sometimes it can be difficult to know why one player is valued at one price and another is valued at another price and I sometimes I'm certainly guilty of this I think we sometimes think it's an exact science and there's like yeah. some kind of algorithm or or, or equation um, but it's really not there is no equation and, and just because a player is expensive or breaks the world transfer record doesn't mean they will be a success. In fact, sometimes it works in the opposite way. A big transfer fee can be a weight around a, mm. a player's neck. So it's it's a worthy discussion point, I think. You say sometimes there, like spoiler alert. I feel like it's more often than not it's an albatross yeah. around the club's neck. Is what I'm slowly finding out when it comes to more recent transfer records. Yeah, I think recent is the key word there. Yeah. When I went through the recent world transfer fees, the the, the success stories become fewer and further between. Yeah. And certainly when you look at not just the world record fees, but the the biggest, the most expensive transfers ever, like the top 10, it's a wasteland for players that have been a success. But I think if you go back to the 90s and the 2000s, I don't know if clubs were smarter then or, or whatever. I think I think closer to the truth is probably that we maybe didn't analyse players in the same way that we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And But there seem to be more success stories in that sort of era with the, with the biggest transfer fees. So let's give some history and some context here, starting with the origin of transfer fees, because I think it's probably somewhat self-explanatory, but simultaneously probably worth explaining somewhat clearly. The idea of a transfer comes about in the late 19th century, uh, and it comes about after the FA recognized professionalism in football. That would be the English FA in 1885. 
basically trying to control professional players by introducing a player registration system so you don't have players playing for multiple teams in a season. You don't have them playing for one team in one game and then another team the next game. It limits some of that uh, tomfoolery, so to speak. So it meant that players had to register with the club each season. Even if they remained with that club the next season, you still have to register each time. Uh, and... They were free to join another club before the start of each season, even if their former club wished to retain them. That changes pretty quickly, and it becomes the case that players' rights are retained by the club even after they no longer play for that team anymore. So if a player is done playing for Club A and wants to move, it doesn't yeah. really matter if Club A doesn't want to move them. And that's where we get the origin of the transfer fee, because a way to make uh, Club A want to get rid of that player is to give them a little bit of financial compensation. Yeah, and, and those those rights that you're talking about, Taylor, with a club being able to hold on to a player's rights even after they're, they're kind of out of contract, so to speak, that, that persists all the way up to the Bosman ruling. It's crazy. And the, and yeah, which is, which is nuts that we had an, a, like generations, several generations of professional soccer in the mainstream, and that was the basis that it existed on until uh, Bosman challenges that, and that's where you get um, kind of player power comes from that, and, and players being able to leave at the end of contracts, and those rights not being held by clubs. But if we go b- all the way back to 1893, to that first ever transfer fee, and that was uh, a fee of £100 mm-hmm. paid by Aston Villa for a, a Scottish player called Willie Groves and he played for West Brom so two rival clubs there in the same region of, of England um, Groves switched between the two and there was a bit of controversy around this transfer because Villa were, were actually fined for basically as far as I could I could I could find on the internet and um, reading about this transfer they were fined for tapping up Groves and and one other player from from West Brom so even with the very first money transfer <laughs> in football history there was there was tapping up and there was an investigation into wrongdoing and it feels like a tone was set from that point on it is insane that from 1893 until 1990 Clubs could just keep the players' rights, didn't have to let them go, didn't have to give them up. So players were really at the mercy of of their teams uh, until the Bosman ruling in 1990. That is a previous episode of Soccer 101 uh, that I did by myself reading a script. It's a different type of episode, but I'd encourage people (laughs) to check that out. Uh, Graham, between 1893 and 1990, we do get several uh, breakings of the record fee. Uh, It took just 12 years from 1893 uh, for the figure to become a thousand pounds, Sunderland uh, uh, striker Alf Common moves to Middlesbrough, so that's when it first goes to four digits. Moves to five digits in 1928. Uh, did you read much about this one with with Arsenal uh, spending over ten thousand pounds to bring in a player? No, not in that specific transfer. What have you got on it? Um, basically, uh, it was David Jack of Bolton Wanderers uh, was the subject of interest from Arsenal. They wanted £13,000 for the player. Uh, Arsenal manager Herbert Chapman took the Bolton representatives uh, out when they were negotiating, got them very, very, very drunk, and they agreed <laughs> to a much lower figure of £10,890. <laughs> so uh, we, we see tabbing up involved, and then we see some... Uh, different avenues of persuasion involved when it comes to how you make transfers happen. <laughs> Quite the ploy. I wonder if that might work and might actually explain some of the transfer fees we've seen in the in the modern transfer uh, market. I find this whole part of I mean it's English football history at this point mm-hmm. although although Falkirk interestingly enough 1922 Sterling Albion's uh, biggest rivals breaking the world transfer fee to sign Sid Pudfoot from West Ham that is surely not a real name but um, Sid what? 
Pud Pudfoot. P U double D E foot. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah, but Pudfoot is my my best hot. guess. You pronounce it hot. Sid Pudfoot. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But I find that whole era of transfer history really interesting because I did a bit of reading on this, and so around the late eighteen hundreds and into the the nineteen hundreds, football clubs in England are primarily owned by either local businessmen or big companies that employ a lo- a lot of like people in the local area. So Manchester United is a good example of that. They were originally a, a club for uh, like the local railway workers, mm-hmm. I think, Newton Heath. Yep. And um, so the football clubs at this time, they're an extension of these businesses and the businesses wanted to compete against each other. And they felt that if they had a good football team, that would reflect well on the business and on the brand image. And so it became a bit of an arms race. And you have, you look at the clubs that are breaking that the, the transfer record around that time, you have... Aston Villa breaking it twice within three years. Then you had um, Birmingham City. They were called Small Heath at that time. They break it around that period. Then it's Sunderland, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, then Villa again, then Blackburn again, then Bolton, then Preston North End. And of course, it's notable that all of these are like northern clubs who are at the centre of the industrial heartland of England at that time. And so it's as much about business as it is about football and building a, a good team and signing good players these 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 players were almost like symbols of wealth for these these businesses and business people Grim, how unhappy would that list of clubs have made ryan bailey if you listed it again <laughs> like, is that every place he doesn't want to be pretty much yeah essentially i yeah. think i mean he considers watford the north so yeah these these <laughs> these clubs would have would have made him very angry Industrial Heartland, Ryan says, no, thank you. Uh, and, and I think this is where we could go fully into the weeds because you do get new records set every few years. You get new entrants into, uh, the transfer spending. Uh, and, and I think I'm going to jump away from that a little bit, Graham. The next transfer I thought was interesting basically was in the 1980s is when I, I, I have next on my list. Is there anything that you'd like to cover between basically 1928 and 1980s? Just just a couple transfers. So interestingly enough, River Plate are the first non-British mm-hmm. club to break the world uh, record for a transfer fee. They paid the equivalent of £23,000 to sign Bernabe Ferreira from Tigre in 1932. That record stood for 17 years, which is the longest that a transfer record has, has ever stood for. It is a little bit of an outlier, though, um, because you don't really see any... I don't think there's another South American club on this list that I can see that's ever broken the the world transfer record. But by the time you get into the 1950s, that's really when the the landscape starts to shift and you have the Italian clubs starting to, to spend big. So between 1952 and 1968... The world record was broken seven times, and that was all by Italian clubs. And in fact, you can go, to fast forward a little bit here, you can go all the way up to 1992, and Italian clubs really dominate the financial landscape in that pretty long period of time. You're talking like 50, 60 years. And of course, there are some more outliers, like Johan Cruyff going to Barcelona in 1973 for a million pounds, essentially. And then Barcelona break it again in 1982 for, for Maradona, three million pounds to sign him. Yeah, sign him. be the 80s one. Yep. Yeah. But generally speaking, up until then, it's it's Italian clubs that are splashing the cash. And you have, just to fast forward on a little bit, I know you're Wait, probably going to bring us back to the there. 80s. Do, yeah, on you go. 
to add further evidence to your point, when it being with it being Italian clubs, so it's Barcelona breaking the record uh, for three million paid for Maradona to Boca Juniors in 1982. Napoli break that two years later, uh, paying five million for him in 1984. So even there, you see the influence of Italian clubs, and then I think in '92. Uh, in the space of 61 days, three different Italian clubs break the transfer the transfer record in a very tight time frame. So it does feel like it, it is Italy doing a lot of the spending in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, and in that period is when you start to look, this is probably just the generation that I am from, but that's when you start to get some superstar names in there. So you've got Paolo Rossi joining Juventus in 76, Rude Hullet joining Milan in 87. Um, then you've got a real run of big name stars joining big Serie A clubs. So you've got Baggio, Papin, uh, Gianluca Viali. And I did some more reading on, on this period, and it was seemed to be a similar landscape to what I was talking about in the 1800s and, and 1900s, early 1900s in England, where businessmen owned clubs, and in some cases businesses, so like Juventus are the, are the team of the Agnelli's, and by extension the team of Fiat, which is you know one of the, the biggest brands in Italy, one of the biggest employers in Italy. You have um, Berlusconi's team being Milan into the 90s. And so again, it's kind of a bit of an arms race where these signings are not necessarily to build the best football team, although mm. that was a part of it. Italian football, certainly in the 90s, was kind of the dominant league around that time. But there's a symbolism to these signings. It's it's businessmen and businesses and clubs kind of flexing their muscle. Yeah. So I would say, with that in mind, there are, in our more modern history, if we're going late 80s, early 90s to the present, and maybe that is even not modern enough. We could probably go late 90s to the present. But I think there are four somewhat seismic events when we're talking about the explosion of transfer fees. Uh, we have the Bosman ruling, which we already mentioned. It meant clubs had to start renewing their players or selling them because players could then move on free transfers. So clubs don't want to let that happen. So I think there is more of a motivation to sell, which means it becomes more common, which means more clubs have money, which means you're going to start breaking records. I also think the breakaway of the Premier League and the significant increase in money there is pretty important in this story and i feel like the alan shearer transfer in 1996 would be a prime representative of that when he moves from blackburn to newcastle for a fee of 15 million pounds uh that i believe kickstarts it like it goes up year on year there's a record-breaking transfer all of them coming from english clubs so that's where you start to see the money in the premier league uh, the money on offer, uh, both for the new player and for the club selling, becomes maybe too big to ignore. Yeah, there are some some landmark transfers around that time. As you say, that the Shearer one is 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 really um, an important one. It's the English the English game kind of um, re-entering this arena because and before that, I think the last time looking through the list here, the last time an English club broke the transfer record was in 1951 when Jackie Sewell joined uh, Sheffield Wednesday from Notts County. So that feels like a very different era of, of English football. And once you get into the 2000s, you have the big two Spanish clubs start to really dictate the, the world record. So you've got Ronaldo, the Brazilian one, joining Barcelona from, from PSV in 1996 for £13 million. You have the infamous Danielson transfer to Real Betis in 1998. Didn't work out for Danielson, didn't work out for Real Betis. And then it's a big long run of Real Madrid transfers. So you have Luis Figo, Zidane, uh, Kaká, Cristiano Ronaldo, and then yeah. Gareth Bale. And you had the, the two Galacticos eras in there where Florent Florentino Perez made it his aim to build a team of superstars. And, and Barcelona, of course, as we know, they try to keep up, even though they don't actually break a, a, a world record themselves beside the Ronaldo one in 96. 
they try and keep up it almost bankrupts them and Real Madrid are kind of pushed financially as well um, in the last few years so there's been a a knock-on effect of that as well yep uh that would be the third of my seismic events would just be the massive growth of commercial revenue and the opportunity that that presented when you look at the growth of Barcelona and Real Madrid Obviously, they have quite some history uh, going back decades and decades and decades, but the modern history of those clubs is rooted in them selling their own TV rights, their own commercial rights, uh, taking a huge chunk of of the uh, player image rights when they bring in those Galacticos so that they're making money off of those players. And a strange way to like see this perfectly encapsulated that comes to mind is there's the one of my favorite Nike adverts, and there have been many, is the before Ronaldo, after Ronaldo, about original Ronaldo. Have you seen that one, Graham? I probably have, but jog, jog my memory again. It's, I remember it, I remember from that era, those are like my formative years. So I, yes, once you start talking about it, I'm sure it'll come to so mind it's, again. It's from like when he retired, right around the time he like finally retired. And it's basically you get before Ronaldo, after Ronaldo, and it will be, you know, like before Ronaldo. And it's this sort of beaten down pitch in Brazil. And then afterwards, it's like a whole stadium. And it will be like before Ronaldo. And it's like one journalist holding up like uh, oh, a recorder yeah, to hear or something this. like that. And then after, and it's clearly Neymar being asked hundreds of questions by hundreds of reporters. And you just see how much the commercial game has grown because I think the after Ronaldo, when it comes to the commercial side is images of Neymar all over downtown Tokyo. And, and that to me is a perfect example of how the game has sort of exploded. The money has exploded that there are so many image rights, commercial rights, TV sales that you can make so much money. And, and because of that, you can then take out pretty favorable loans if you're, say, Barcelona, uh, that the commercial side of things has allowed for so much more money to flow into these clubs that then they have more money to spend, but also it is very clear that they have more money to spend. And there becomes a big club tax. There becomes a Premier League tax. You know these teams have money, so you're going to charge them a little bit more. Uh, And then I think sometimes it goes to the level of clubs want to make a statement by spending a ridiculous amount of money to show their power and stature. Yeah, and you can track that that growth, that explosion in the fees. I mean, look at the growth between 1997, which is around the time I consider the 98 World Cup to be the first. I know we have the 94 World Cup in the USA, and that was maybe a watershed in itself. But 98 with Ronaldo as the face of Nike and Zidane as the face of Adidas and Zidane's face being on the on the big billboard at the Port of Marseille and everything around that World Cup, that was the first like truly commercial World Cup. For mm-hmm. in my mind, anyway, yeah, I would agree with that. And and you go from nineteen ninety seven, you've got Ronaldo going from uh, Barcelona to Inter Milan for nineteen point five million pounds in the space of twenty years, up until two thousand and seventeen, which is Neymar going to PSG. That inflation, that growth, goes from nineteen point five million pounds to a hundred and ninety eight million pounds. And I know you would expect a growth in inflation as an, a, a thing and everything, but if you track the growth from, you know, they went from. Let's have a look here. They went from a 1975 one million pounds to then 20 years after that is like 10 million pounds. We then had a growth of of like 170 million pounds in 20 years in in the 21st century. And and it's crazy to think about like uh, Rio Ferdinand costing 30 million and Dimitar Berbatov costing like 31 million and people thinking like this this is ridiculous. Like we're never going to see fees like this. Like how could it be this high? And that's Almost immediately eclipsed, and then eclipsed again, and then eclipsed again, and now here we are with Neymar costing, as you said, $198 million in 2017. Uh, I think along the way in there would be the fourth 
seismic event when it comes to transfer fees, which would be the introduction of oil money, uh, exemplified by the top two most expensive transfers at present are both to PSG, uh, who obviously have some oil money behind them. But you could also include Chelsea's various spending sprees under Roman Abramovich, Manchester City becoming Manchester City, even Newcastle as well nowadays, being able to spend even more than their Premier League counterparts who themselves are able to spend quite a bit. So I do think the introduction of basically oil states uh, has created even more money. And like, it's an it's an obvious point, but one worth reiterating. Like, you and I are also both from the generation that, like, Manchester City were bad. They were, like, a 10th yeah. or 11th team. They had, what, like, Sven Gorn Eriksson. They had Taxi Shinawatra. Well, when I they, grew up, City were a second division team. Exactly. Never mind a mid-table Premier League team. Yeah, and so I remember the conversations about which team is most likely to, to make it a big five instead of a big four because it was Manchester United, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal. And and who could who could come in there? And there was like maybe it's Newcastle, but maybe they're too far north. Manchester City certainly were not on that list. Then you get oil money coming in. Then you get that spending spree. Then you get Pep Guardiola, and now you have them what they are today. It's just strange to think about them having been a club that there was not nearly as much interest in, and were in the second division for a chunk of time, and now here we are. So I think you can't ignore how much oil money has factored into yeah. some of the statures of these clubs. And the incredible thing about that phase is it feels like we're very much at the start of yep. that phase. I know City have been owned by Abu Dhabi for, at this point, about fi- like 12 years or something like that, 15 years possibly. Um, PSG have been owned by Qatar for over a decade now. But we've got the Saudi Pro League coming onto the radar now and the money that is being spent there. Their transfers are not quite on this list here. I think you have to go to um, Neymar, um, who's twentieth yeah. in the all-time list to find a, a Saudi a Saudi transfer for for ninety million euros in 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 the summer there? I would expect that over the next few windows, I would expect a Saudi club will break that in yep. January. Then they'll break it again in the summer, and before too long, they'll be up around the, the two hundred million euro pound mark for for a player. Um, I think that is coming down the pipeline, mm. pun intended. So we've given an abbreviated history from eighteen ninety three to twenty twenty three. That's no small feat. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit to maybe the mid-90s and on and talk about that sort of the explosion of transfer fees, of the record fees, but the individuals maybe that we would say are responsible for some of that inflation, uh, which is an odd way to put it. But I think it is the case that you have along the way certain landmark transfers that establish like a, a, a baseline of, okay, if you want a a very talented young goal scorer who already has Premier League experience, you're going to have to pay a premium. And I, and I think that there are natural ones that deserve that distinction. And I think there are mm-hmm. some other ones that maybe are slightly more artificial in how much was spent for them in relation to their actual value they were bringing. Yeah, so I think in the 90s there are a number of, and into the 2000s as well, there's a number of, of landmark transfers that really did inflate the market. The first one, first one that would highlight is Brazilian Ronaldo in 96 going to Barcelona. Now, the reason I highlight that one is because if you look at the previous world transfer records, they're all, pretty much all, um, there's a couple of outliers, but generally speaking, they're all for world-class players who are at the peak of their powers, you know, Maradona going to Barcelona in 82 or Napoli in 84 or Ruud Hulet going to Milan or Baggio going to Juventus as he's the star of that that, that, um, Italian team in 1990 or Viali going to Juventus. These, These are all established stars trading clubs. But Ronaldo 
at, in 1996 is, is a young striker. He's not played in a major European league. He's played for PSV, did exceptionally well for PSV under Bobby Robson, and then goes to Barcelona. And then the next one after that is Alan Shearer. That's in the same year. We've already talked about that one a little bit. That is the Premier League starting to flex its muscle. And obviously Alan Shearer, Newcastle look back at that £15 million they paid for him and they would say a bargain. He goes on mm-hmm. to become the all-time Premier League top goal scorer, possibly the best player in Newcastle United's history. But at that time, Shearer was kind of unproven. I mean, he'd, he'd won a... That's a little bit harsh and a little bit over the top. He'd won a Premier League title with, with Blackburn Rovers. But what I'm trying to say is he wasn't like these other players who'd done it for a long period of, t- of time. He'd kind of been at the top of the English game for, for one season. And so from there, you have um, transfer fees for Crespo going to Lazio, Vieri going to Inter Milan in, in kind of the early 2000s. I have to imagine they used Shearer as a benchmark for those transfers. Um, so there are a couple uh, transfers in the 90s that inflate the market. And then if I can just fast forward us on Please. quite a bit to more present day, the two other world record transfers that I think inflated the market to such an extent that we're still feeling the impact of the of them is Paul Pogba and Neymar. I initially put the Cristiano Ronaldo transfer down in the running order, Taylor, but I actually don't think that did inflate the market because... While eighty million pounds completely, you're talking about the one from United to Real Madrid, correct? Yeah, that yeah that one, the eighty million pounds one, which was, I, I remember thinking at the time that was an outrageous amount of money. The Zidane transfer stood for that that record stood for it felt like an eternity when I was that age. That it'd be it just been there forever. Forty five million pounds going to Real Madrid, and Real Madrid break that record to sign Kaka in two thousand and when does Ronaldo go? Two thousand nine, I think it was. Yep. Um, and then in the same summer they go and get Cristiano Ronaldo, eighty million pounds. It's this huge fee. They completely smashed the record. They've almost doubled the Zidane fee, but. He was the best player in the world at the time. So it didn't it didn't set a benchmark because you could only really measure one other player against that transfer fee. Whereas with Pogba going to Manchester United in 2016 for 89 million, you could argue that plenty of players were worth more than than that given his standard. Neymar was a little bit different in that he was one of the best players in in, in the world, but from the Neymar transfer you have this gigantic knock-on effect. And I look at transfers like the Usman Dembele and Philip Coutinho transfers to Barcelona, where they spend over a hundred million on each of those players. Yeah. And from that, you have a, a, an insanely high benchmark set for I would class as second tier players. These players are excellent players. They're maybe promising players. Certainly, Dembele was signed because of his promise, but they're not players at the peak of their powers. They're not tier one players. And so that Neymar transfer, I still think to this day, has inflated the transfer market. Uh. Yeah, I would entirely agree. And I think if you look at of the top 12 or so transfers right now when it comes to record spends, I'd I'd say you could say four of them are maybe too soon to judge, which itself is kind of revealing that four of them, uh, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice, Moses Caicedo, and Enzo Fernandez, are all relatively too soon. Uh, Grealish, the longest serving of of those four. Uh, But all of those occurring so recently is itself maybe a sign of how things have changed. But then... Of your remaining eight, I would say the only one that isn't a bust in my mind is Kylian Mbappe moving to PSG yeah. for everything he has meant to that club. I think so. And how important he has become. 
But aside from that, I would say Neymar to PSG, I wouldn't think that is considered a resounding success. Coutinho from Liverpool to Barca, the same. João Felix from Benfica to Atleti, he doesn't play there anymore. Uh, Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid to Barcelona, doesn't play there anymore. Lukaku from Inter to Chelsea. Usman Dembele from Dortmund to Barcelona. Pogba from Juve to Manchester United. And then we get to Jude Bellingham, who brings it back around. But it really <laughs> is, uh, to your point... A lot of players who are flirting with Tier 1 status or in the moment feel like they are there, but don't make the jump such that they turn the fortunes of that club around or really come in and hit the ground running and and justify that expense. And that does feel like where we are in the present day, that you might get an 80, 90, 100 million pound transfer, but like exemplified by Anthony moving to Manchester United, that doesn't mean that they are necessarily going to be the starter that scores 25 goals a season and and turn things around and makes that club jump to that next level. It just feels like now that's par for the course. If you're a big club, you're going to have to spend a lot of money. If you're a Premier League club, you're probably going to have to spend a lot of money. Yeah, Anthony's 18th on this list, which is quite Insane. which is quite shocking. Like I know you've gone through the list and you've you've very fairly assessed a lot of these deals as um bad deals that didn't work out, but you don't get there aren't many players here who are bad players as such like Griezmann for example has is an Atletico Atletico Madrid legend has been excellent in 2023 just didn't do it at Barcelona Yao Felix seems to have found his feet at Barcelona this season just didn't do it for Atleti Mm -hmm. um Anthony I'm not entirely sure is that good so for him to be in the 18th on this list yes it's quite shocking the the other thing that I think is really interesting in looking at some of the names on this list is the like how much you get the rise in fees corresponding with a a sort of decline uh, in the age of the player. Specifically, how often I think in the early 90s, it was a player who was maybe 25, 26, 27, 28. Alan Shearer, I think, was 25 or 26 when he makes his move. It felt like you... Clubs were going for those prime players, uh, and I was I was reading a a sort of statistical analysis of transfer fees and how year on year it has gone down. So that now I think the largest amounts are paid for players who are, I believe, between twenty one and twenty three, and then twenty one or under. Those are the two like segments that are, command the largest fee because I think yeah. potential is factored in as well. And when you're a selling club. You don't want to be the club that sells a player for $10 million and then they go on to win the Ballon d'Or three times and they're sold for $150 million. So there's that – you're sort of taxing the potential as well. And the outliers in there as a result would be somebody like Harry Kane or even somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo. When he moves from Real Madrid to Juve, that's a $100 million euro transfer. Harry Kane, the same when he moves from Spurs to Bayern Munich. And, and to me, those are – transfers that work out or have worked out so far maybe Harry Kane is too early but I would say his goal scoring rate tells us that it's working out just fine at least at time of recording that also feels like a sign of of where things are in 2023 that those two players moving for 100 million Ronaldo moves obviously a few years before 2023 but still for those like veteran players who don't have a ton of resale value it shows that that's just kind of what the market dictates that if you want a world class player you're spending around 100 million if you want a world class player who is under 21 you're probably spending 150 million yeah you can classify that inflation in a number of different ways so we spoke about tiers uh, mm-hmm. tier 1 and tier 2 players you can classify it with age which is what you're talking about there i also think position is an important classification because you look at someone like 
Um, Enzo Fernandez going to Chelsea for 100, 100 million I think that inflates that has a direct impact on inflating the, the, the market for central midfielders and you have Moises Caicedo going to um, also to Chelsea for yeah. a, around the same amount of money Declan Rice I think West Ham were looking for about £70 million until Enzo Fernandez goes to Chelsea for £100 million and they bump up their asking price money, to £115 yeah. yeah exactly um, I'd say City signing Kyle Walker for £50 million million pounds i know that's going back a little bit but that inflated the market for fullbacks where i remember when fullbacks just wouldn't go for more than like 20 25 million pounds no matter how good they were then all of a sudden clubs are demanding like uh 50 50 million pounds for them i would say virgil van dyke going to liverpool inflates the market for central defenders and of course liverpool end up uh, doing pretty well out of that deal 75 million pounds signing van dyke from from southampton but you get Harry Maguire going to Manchester United for £80 million off the back of that transfer. That, that one hasn't quite worked out for Manchester United to the same extent. So, yeah, you can look at several. It's not just the world record transfers that inflate the market. You can look all the way down the list and pinpoint some deals that had a knock-on effect in, in, in the transfer window. Uh, Graham, I want to pivot for a second to talk about the women's game and the growth of transfer fees in the women's game. I want to start with the the first reported transfer fee or record transfer fee for a woman's footballer. Did you read about this one? That was the Rio Vallecano one, right? In yes, 2002. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. wasn't expecting to see Rio's, Rio's name on, on, on that list. But Nor yeah, was there. I. And I also didn't know much about the player that they paid that money for, uh, Milene Dominguez. Uh, they paid £200,000 for her in 2002, which felt like a lot of money and still yeah. feels like a lot of money. I think she's still in the top 10. Uh, reading a little bit more, you find out that she was then the wife of Brazilian Ronaldo and couldn't actually play for the club because at the time you had to be Spanish to play in the Spanish Women's League. So she was basically just hired to do PR, to create publicity, and I guess a feeling of goodwill because in 2018, Ronaldo buys the controlling interest in Rio Vallecano. So 16 years later, it totally, totally worked out for them. Uh, but that was more of a PR signing than it was uh, talent, but it's also very telling that that record fee of two hundred thousand pounds in two thousand two was not overtaken until September of twenty twenty. And when we talk yeah. about the explosion of fees on the men's side, there has been a not a corresponding one. Certainly, there has been a somewhat corresponding uh, growth in recent history. But it is wild to me that it takes eighteen years for a promotional signing to be eclipsed by an actual player that's Pernille Harder moving to Chelsea for £250,000 in 2020. Yeah, it's a pretty damning statement on the lack of investment in yep. the women's game at the elite level. And if we were having this discussion even a few years ago, I, I, there wouldn't really be much to talk about because there just wasn't money, just wasn't spent a, a, a lot in the transfer market in the women's game. But thankfully, as you say, Taylor, um, I don't know if we would say it's an explosion because yeah. the, the the transfer record stands at £400,000. That's Keira yeah. Walsh going to, to Manchester City, which pales in comparison to the money spent in Go, the men's leaving game. Leaving Manchester City, right? Going to Barcelona. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, going to Barcelona from Manchester City. Um, but if you look at the, you know, the top, 20 even biggest mm-hmm. transfers of all time in the women's game they're all pretty much recent transfers so things are improvement improving you have uh, Chelsea paying 250,000 pounds for Pernier Harder you know the Danish mm-hmm. international we covered at the World Cup and um, you have Kira Walsh going to Barcelona as I mentioned and the Walsh transfer in particular really really shifted the market because it showed that even the biggest clubs could lose their best players to rivals if they were mm-hmm. willing to spend so Manchester City 
ha- haven't really been as successful more recent in recent seasons in the, in the Women's Super League, but around that time are one of the strongest English teams playing in the Champions League and so on. They have the, their best player poached by Barcelona because they're willing to put some some money in, into in, into the into the transfer budget, and obviously these fees are are are, are much smaller than we would see in the men's game, but they are being inflated slowly mm-hmm. but steadily by growing broadcast rights. Um, in the NWSL, of course, this week or last week, I can't quite remember. There was that landmark TV deal, which you would imagine will hopefully get some more NWSL clubs on this on this list of biggest mm-hmm. transfers, because at the moment we'll it is. You're doubtful, but yeah. um, maybe at the moment it's very Euro Europe centric. Yeah. This 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 transfer list, the biggest deals of all time. Uh, Chelsea, for example, they've spent more money in the transfer market over the last five years than any other women's club in the world. They're they're spending millions in total in, in transfer windows, which is quite a big change. And you have obviously bigger crowds across the European game primarily. So as long as well, this is the hope anyway. As long as the commercial revenue of the women's game grows, as it is thankfully now you would expect transfer fees to to grow as well you would i, I still think I, I read that same thing about kira walsh moved to Man- uh to barcelona how that was like meant to be a, a change in the landscape that like uh super league clubs needed to worry about their competitors uh, on the continent uh until i realized that of the nine, I think nine of the top ten biggest transfers have occurred since 2020. So removing the uh, Milane Dominguez from the equation, we've got nine of the ten since 2020. Of those seven, were to British clubs. So yeah. I think I think you still have English clubs spending a sizable amount and capable of spending the most money, uh, or maybe willing to spend the most money. That obviously has not then guaranteed European success, so it's a mixed bag at this point. Uh, some other little things to throw in there. Uh, Lindsay Horan, the most expensive American transfer when she moved to Lyon for a fee of 300,000 euros. It's great. Mia Fischel uh, is 10th on the list, 227,000 euros, so we're not talking millions here. And it's wild that even like scrolling all the way down to 39th is Megan Rapino moving to Magic Jack for... 80,000 pounds. Like it, it, it's, it's wild that you have huge names moving for relatively small amounts of money, but it does seem like there, that is shifting, that is changing. It still stands the case in my mind that if you want to invest in a football club, the women's side of things really gives you much more bang for your buck. You can definitely drop a smaller amount. I mean, the top three players, Kira Walsh, Jill Rord, and Kira Cooney Cross. Those are the three biggest transfers. You add them up, and I think it's right around uh, 1 million euros. So the most three most expensive players uh, on the women's side are, what, 1 198th of, of an AMR? <laughs> like, that doesn't feel quite right. So I think you can still find a good amount of value in the women's game. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is the caveat when we... Well, I certainly have praised Chelsea in the past for the money that they've put into into their women's program. They are essentially spending like Enzo Fernandez's bonus on tra- women's club transfers. Uh, so yeah, so it's kind of all in, in in perspective. But I would expect this. I would expect this. Um, looking at this list, that I think we're probably both looking at at the same time, Taylor. This this list of the the biggest transfers yeah. in women's soccer. I reckon we could come back in two years' time, and this this entire top twenty will be completely different because things are, are shifting. Pretty quickly it would be interesting to see if it does shift really quickly how many nwsl clubs are involved if any my expectation would be that if they're involved they're more on the selling side than the buying side but 
maybe that will change. For now, I believe it's Sophia Jakobsen moving to San Diego Wave. Uh, that is the NWSL record at present, and that was for 175,000 euros. So not quite uh, moving into the top 10 anytime soon. Uh, Graham, we talked about how we think the, the women's game will see continued increase in transfer fees. What about the men's side of things when we look to the future? It is always really always the case since the transfer fees started exp- expanding the way they did that people have speculated it has to stop it at some point when we get over 100 million that's going to be where people re- recognize <laughs> this is silly when we get over 150 when we get over 200 and here we are over 200 yeah. and that still does feel silly to me all of this feels a little bit silly to me Enzo Fernandez moving to Chelsea for 121 million euros what like months after he moved to Benfica or like 18 months after he moved for a tinier amount that does feel silly to me. It also doesn't feel like it's going to change anytime soon. I feel like we now exist in the world of 60 million is like good value. 80, 90, 100 million is what you pay for a very good player. And then like 150 is what you play for a player that you expect to be world class. And that's just sort of the world we live in. Yeah, I remember the Cristiano Ronaldo transfer to uh, Real Madrid, the £80 million one mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier, and thinking to myself, that will never be beaten. Like That now <laughs> gets you a Harry Maguire, <laughs> like, or an Anthony. Um, and also, similarly, the Neymar one, I, I remember thinking that will never, ever be beaten. And to be fair, it hasn't been beaten to date, but... Saudi Arabia is the real wild card in this. I don't really know to, how, to, how to judge what they're going to spend, because it just feels like... The January transfer window could could open and they could go and spend like two hundred and fifty million pounds on Bruno Fernandez or something like that. There's just there's just no way to kind of judge what they're going to spend on players. So we can be a bit more speculative about the European market because we can gauge that a little bit better um, and looking to who the next player might be to break the record. So Bellingham has already made his big move, so I wouldn't expect him to be in the in, in the sweepstakes. Kylian Mbappe, he I think he'll join Real Madrid in the summer. We've said that before, but I actually think it will happen this time. But of course, he's out of contract at PSG, so there's not going to be a transfer fee there. I was looking through um, like the Ballon d'Or voting for this year to try and plot some transfers. So Victor Osimhen, I think he'll go for big money, but it, I don't think it'll be two hundred million pounds plus. So my answer, I've got three suggestions, right? So I think my answer is Erling Haaland when he leaves Manchester City. Um, The only thing that could stop that is if there's some kind of, we know that um, his agent and his father like to have a a release clause in his contract. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that made him or allowed him to go to Manchester City for only something like, what was it, £60 million or something like that. Maybe there's a, a release clause in his Manchester City contract that means he doesn't ever breach that £200 million Neymar record. But if there's no clause, then you would expect he he will probably go for over that amount. Um, the other two suggestions were a little bit more left field, but hear me out. Bakayo Saka or mm. Jamal Musiala. If they were ever to go to a, a, a City or a PSG or a Real Madrid or Barcelona or someone like that, then I feel like they would go for pretty pretty giant fees because they are players who are established at the top for club and country, have been doing it for a number of years, but are still freakishly young. Like, Jamal Musiala is 20 years old. Saka's something like 21, 22. So, yeah, those are my three suggestions. I have another one, uh, but I actually want to pause this because I think we, we've stumbled upon an interesting point there, Graham. You mentioned, like, like if maybe Barcelona were to come in for Jamal Musiala. I agree with you. I think he's going to cost... Close to a transfer record, I, I think they would probably start at 150 million euros, Bayern, and probably want significantly more than that. 
The question then becomes, who can afford that these days? Because I do think most Premier League clubs uh, have ridiculous resources because of that TV deal. And even there, you're not getting, you know, an 11th in the table team. Although I don't know who's 11th right now, and that might be somebody who could actually spend that. Uh, but like, like I, I think, you know, the elite Premier League teams, maybe, the, or even the top like eight, I think could all potentially find ways to afford that. Real Madrid seem to always have money, but seem less and less inclined to splash it unless it's for somebody like Jude Bellingham uh, at that level. But I think they still could, certainly. Erling Haaland would be like a, a player that I think they could go for. But Bayern Munich, I feel like, don't always want to spend money. The Harry Kane $100 million was, was kind of a big deal in that way. Barca don't have the resources they did previously. Serie A clubs seem less and less inclined to spend the insane amounts of money required to bring in these players. Like, that does factor into this, right? That you have yeah. fewer clubs that are willing to drop record amounts of money for players. Yeah, and you can see that in over over the historical record transfers, that that group of clubs getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, it's Real Madrid, not just completely Real Madrid on their own from 2000 to 2013 when they signed Gareth Bale. Then it's Manchester United, then it's PSG. And you're right, the the number of clubs that can drop that amount of money on a single player. Well, let's let's just come up with a list, right? So it's Real Madrid and Spain. I don't think Barcelona... Barcelona are cash rich, actually, in the moment. I had a look at their accounts the other day. They've got 300... I'm, I'm that kind of person, I'm sad. <laughs> They've got 320 million euros in cash reserves, so I guess they could go and blow that money on Jamal Musiala if they wanted. It might not be a financially prudent decision for them to make, given they've, yeah. got a, they've not got a stadium at the moment. They need to rebuild that stadium, but I guess they could feasibly do it. So Real Madrid... Barcelona, I don't. Uh, PSG obviously in France are the other one. No, no club in in Italy. No club in Germany. Um, and then in England, there's probably a few. So Man City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal. Uh, I was going to say Liverpool, but maybe not even Liverpool. I don't know if they're in that in that realm. We haven't seen them spend that amount of money on a player. So yeah, it's 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 a list of about like eight clubs. Is their record still Virgil Van Dijk? That would I be my think that would be my guess for what be, 75 yeah. million pounds. What was Darwin Nunes? He was around that mark as well, but it's yeah, it's it's, it's Van Dijk or Nunes, I think. Uh scrolling scrolling scrolling. It is Nunez, uh, Nunez is second. It is Virgil Van Dijk. Nunez was 64 million pounds. So okay. there you go. So I mean, they're spending money, but yeah, it's not approximating that level. So I I think then the only other candidate uh that I I didn't have Saka and Musiala, but I think those are very smart shouts. The only other one would be Kylian Mbappe to me. And I think depending on where he goes after PSG and the situation as it is when he leaves, in terms of if he has like one year left, maybe he's not commanding such a sizable fee. But I think if he's trying to force a deal and somebody really needs that striker or needs to make that kind of statement signing, that's another one where I feel like we could see him jump uh, Neymar yeah. in terms of the actual record it's going to need it's going to need a quirk somewhere along the line though for that to happen like it's going to need him to sign another two-year deal at PSG and then Real Madrid just come in and say we're we're done waiting we're just going to pay the money to get you now or I don't know I'm trying to plot out a scenario like um Haaland goes to Real Madrid and Man City think, well, we've just lost our star striker. We're going to go and put the Haaland money we've just got on killing Mbappe. It would need something. Because at this moment in time, yeah. I just don't see how he doesn't end up at Real Madrid. So it would need something to disrupt that happening at the end of this season. Another thing that is oft repeated, but I think 
like bears repeating here is the how much scouting and expanded scouting networks have changed things a little bit because like I think there's a there's a world and a past life in which like let's say Jude Bellingham goes to Dortmund has the success he had and then he makes a move to Chelsea or Liverpool or Man United a, a Premier League club like that for let's say he moved like a year earlier and they spent 75 million if a year or two later like he continued to develop as he had been. And that is when Real Madrid came calling because now he's older. Now he's in his prime. Now he's this established Galactico. That is when I could have seen him going for over 200 million, but he's yeah, already there same. because they basically, he's, he's rec- skipped a step. Yeah, exactly. Bellion. And I think that's what bigger clubs are getting better at is as, as crazy as it sounds like Jude Bellingham for a hundred million euros, thereabouts, a little over that seems like, a crazy amount of money, but when you think about it from the context of if another club had bought him for eighty million, played him for a year, and he had success, I, I feel like he's probably one hundred and fifty million. So I think in some ways those big clubs are still spending ridiculous amounts of cash on players, but they're doing so more readily and earlier, and that can potentially save them money. But I think it also explains how you have say, João Felix and Felipe Coutinho being on the list as the third and fourth most expensive players uh, or transfers of all time, when I'm not sure that those were fully justified in the moment. But I think the quest to find that next gem at and removing a step along the way, I think does also factor into how some of these fees have increased so quickly. And Real Madrid's are better at that than any other club at the moment. You look through their entire team, Vinicius Jr., they spent a lot of money on him to get him from 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 Brazil from Brazilian domestic football and I remember I remember at the time um a lot of criticism and scrutiny of that transfer just as their scrutiny of them paying I think 60 million euros for Endrick who's a 16 year old uh, attacker from mm-hmm. Palmeiras at the moment just got caught in by Brazil right yeah, exactly. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw like Eder Militao cleaning him out with a tackle, <laughs> like welcome him to Real Madrid before he's even arrived. But he's he'll be at Real Madrid next summer when he turns eighteen years old, and Real Madrid have have become, as you say, Taylor, much much better at that. So that is maybe a way for that that they certainly have managed to mitigate the growth and in inflation and in transfer fees as they are moving earlier for these players. There we go, man. So that is a lengthy look at the record transfer fees paid and the history thereof. Graham Ruffin, I feel like we covered a lot of ground here. I feel like we covered a lot of bases. Obviously, not all of them. There will be probably follow-up episodes we can do. We we welcome people's questions. But for now, I think uh, job well done, my friend. Thank you very much, Taylor. These uh, these numbers, these these zeros that we've been covering have have um, got me feeling a little bit kind of un- overwhelmed yeah. and like insignificant a and how small I am and how I don't matter. But you know, I've got my wads of millions here to to wipe my my tears with. So it's all I'm good. Glad. I'm glad you have your, your palette of, of of stacks of cash. And just remember, Graham. It's all made up anyway. Money isn't real. It's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Graham Ruffin, thank you again, my friend. Listeners, thanks so much for continuing to listen and support the show. Uh, Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anyone who you think might be interested in this episode or in Soccer 101, broadly speaking. We greatly appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week.